Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is when you're coming upon this video or this audio recording of this Bible teaching. Today we will be in Matthew chapter 26. So if you're able to do so, I really encourage you to grab your Bible and open it up to Matthew chapter 26 so that you can follow along with the context of what's being read here. The last time that we gathered and we looked at Matthew, we left off in verse 16. So in our study for today, we will be picking it up in verse 17. But I thought what we would do today is just go ahead and go back and start reading in verse 1 again before we look at our verses for today. So hopefully you all have your Bibles and they're opened up to Matthew chapter 26. And in verse 1, um, Jesus speaking here, or speaking of Jesus, first of all, it says, Now it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So, that, so from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So we talked about all those verses a little bit more in depth in our last study. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that, it's available out there on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, and all that where you can go and find it. But, for, but beginning our verses for today, verse 17 says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? So in our previous study of Matthew chapter 26, I pointed out the significance of this particular Passover celebration. We talked about how this um, particular Passover celebration was going to finally be the fulfillment of the whole reason that the Passover feast ever existed in the first place. 
even though the religious Jews would continue year after year, even until this day, to celebrate the Passover feast, the fulfillment of it all happened back in the week that we are reading about here in Matthew today, when this Passover was taking place. That was the fulfillment of the Passover. The crucifixion of Jesus was the whole reason why God had established the celebration of the Passover in the first place. And though I did talk about all of this the last time, I'll remind you of the fact that God the Father had actually established with the children of Israel all the way back in the book of Exodus, so you can go back and read about this, that they should keep the Passover feast long before Jesus ever came on the scene in the flesh, right? You see, back in Exodus chapter 11 and 12, there is a lot discussed about the Passover. The children of Israel, while they were still in bondage as slaves to Egypt, they, they were to take a lamb and as directed by God, they were to use that lamb as a sacrifice. This is what God was establishing with them. And this was something that each and every Israelite household had to do. Every household of the slaves that were in Egypt had to do this. They had to take this lamb and sacrifice it. And what they had to do on this one particular night was to get ready for when the Spirit of God was going to pass over in Egypt. That's where the term Passover comes from, right? The Spirit of God was going to pass over and was going to strike down the firstborn sons of every household in all of Egypt. Now, why was God doing this? Well, he's trying to get his children, his chosen people, the one that he's planning everything for, for the Messiah to come through. He's trying to get them set free. So his spirit was going to pass over this night in Egypt of, of all the houses in Egypt. Okay, and, and this was the final plague that God had issued against Pharaoh for his refusal to set the children free. The firstborn son in that house was going to be struck down. And this plague did indeed lead Pharaoh to releasing the Israelites from slavery. You can find that in Exodus chapter 11 and verse 1. But after that night, God had instructed the Israelites to observe a Passover feast as a lasting memorial. And the way all of this worked back in the book of Exodus was that God had instructed every household of the Israelite people to select a one-year-old male lamb. Okay, It was supposed to be perfect without any defects, the best lamb they could find. And the head of the household was to then slaughter the lamb in the evening. He had to be sure to take special care that none of the lamb's bones were broken. And then he was to apply some of the blood of the lamb to the tops and to the sides of the doorframe of the house. The lamb was to be roasted and eaten. God also gave specific instructions in Exodus 12, 11 as to how the Israelites were supposed to eat this lamb. For example, they were to eat the lamb with their cloak tucked in, their belt, their sandals on, their feet, you know, and they had the staff in their hand. So this represented the fact that they were about to be set free from bondage in Israel. 
and they would soon be on their journey towards the promised land that God had for them. Again, this was going to be the final plague, and they were going to be set free. Okay? And God said that when he would see the blood of the lamb that they put on the doorframe of the house, his spirit would pass over that home and not permit the destroyer to enter and to strike down the firstborn son in that household. But any home in Egypt that did not have the blood of the lamb would have their firstborn son struck down and killed that night. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 12. You see, in the New Testament now, that's Exodus is in the Old Testament, now in the New Testament where we're reading today, we see that God established a relationship between that prototypical lamb, that Passover lamb that was of the Old Testament, that was simply a foreshadow or simply something that just pointed to a future event that God was establishing with them. And, and Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that Passover lamb. If you remember, the prophet John the Baptist recognized Jesus when he saw him coming. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So God had set this up in the book of Exodus as a foreshadow of what was going to take place in the future. His children were in bondage to slavery. Today, people are in bondage to sin. I'll talk about that a little bit more. But people need to be set free. And as you read the, from, through the Old Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, the whole story unfolds as to what God's plan was all along. So anyway, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Apostle Peter, in his writing about the Lamb with no defects at all, he said, That's Jesus. Peter called Jesus the Lamb without blemish or defect, right? Jesus was the Son of God, perfect in every way, no sin. And of course, Jesus was indeed very qualified to be called that, the one without blemish, because again, as the Son of God, he was free from sin. So you see, Jesus was the fulfillment of all things that God had planned for the redemption of mankind. Keep that in mind that, you know, all the way back in the beginning, when Adam, when Adam and Eve were created, wasn't long before they fell into sin. What was their sin? They were disobedient to God. They didn't live in accordance with the words of God. God said, you can do this, don't do this. But God loved them enough to not make them robots. God loved them enough to give them a choice. You know, he gave them a choice. And they had the choice to choose what was right and wrong. And they were beguiled by the devil, and they chose what was wrong. So today, though, through faith in Jesus, and because of the fact that Jesus did shed his blood for the remission of our sins, our sins are passed over by God. God's not holding those sins against us if we are in Christ Jesus, because that's what he sees. He sees the blood of the Lamb, just like in Exodus passed over, saw the blood of the lamb, the animal lamb, on the door frames of the house. No, no death came there, right? Today, he sees the blood of the lamb on the life of a person that has given their lives to Jesus Christ and is a follower of his, and that's the remission of our sins. He passes over that, right? 
We have to be, but we have to be set free, just like the children of Israel had to be set free from the bondage of slavery. We have to be set free from the bondage of sin. And we are to, to no longer walk in the lust of the flesh, choosing that way anymore because we're now in Christ. And the Bible says old things pass away and all things become new. If any man is in Christ, the scripture says he is a new creation. Every old passes away, all things become new. We begin to walk in a different way. The Bible describes that as being born again, right? And this, this all takes place in the life of a person that chooses to repent of their sin and then through faith in Jesus, surrender their lives completely to the Lordship of Jesus. Now going back to what man was supposed to do in the very beginning, being obedient to the word of God. God found a way to redeem us just like he found a way to redeem the children of Israel in the, in the book of Exodus, okay? But it's no longer today about these feasts and celebrations and religious ceremonies and rituals and such. It's now about faith in Jesus Christ. Mankind still has many religions and many ceremonial type things that they do, but God has made only one way as direct access to Him. Only one way to be right with God, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ and obedient living that is in accordance with His Word. Okay? 1 Timothy 2.5 says that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Okay? So again, why is it today, though, that we as mankind has established so many religions when God has made only one way? Okay? In accordance with the word of God, Jesus is the all in all. He's the fulfillment of all things. He's the answer to all things. So here in chapter 26 and verse 17, we see not only Jesus preparing to keep the, uh, the observance of the Passover feast, but also he himself was about to be the long-awaited Messiah that would be the fulfillment of the Passover. He would be the one that would once and for all take away the sin of not only the Jews, but of the Gentiles also. That is, anyone on the face of the earth that would ever receive him as Lord of their lives. But many of the Jews of Jesus' day would not receive him as their Messiah. That wasn't who they were looking for. They wanted the Messiah to be an earthly king, someone that just would come and make their nation great, make them a powerful nation. They didn't want someone that was going to be a suffering savior, someone that was, going, that was so meek and mild, though Jesus was powerful and strong. We can read that, you know, in the, in the scriptures as well. But they just didn't like Jesus. It wasn't who they expected. But in verse 18, Jesus is going to continue to instruct his disciples here. And he says, and he said, go into the city <clears throat> to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When, the, when evening had come, 
he sat down with the twelve. So obviously what we are seeing here is what we would refer to today as the Last Supper. Okay, And we'll see here that even his disciples who had been following him around, think about this, the disciples of Jesus had been following him around and learning from him for the last three years. They were still a bit clueless about the significance of what was going on at this particular Passover feast, what was, what was about to take place. Again, what was happening here on this day was the pre preparation for the fulfillment of all that God was doing to redeem the people of the world from their bondage to the slavery of sin. Sin separates us as mankind. Sin separates us from a relationship with the holy God. So something had to be done. And God was doing that in Jesus Christ. He, Jesus was on his way this week that we're reading about here in Matthew, this particular week. He's on his way to dying for the sin of the world. Because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we now have the opportunity to repent. That is to turn from being Lord of our own lives and place our faith in him and be ready to travel. Remember how I was saying how the children of Israel, they, when they were eating that lamb, they, were, they had to be ready to travel because the time was coming quick when they were going to be out of here. Well, today, the time is coming quick when we're going to be out of here. Either we're, our appointment with death is going to come and we're going to be before the Lord or the second coming of the Lord is going to come one or the other is on its way. We need to be ready to travel. That is, we need to be ready to be with the Lord. Okay? The Israelites, they were getting ready to travel to their promised land, which was a temporary place God was giving them. Temporary in the sense that the earth is all going to dissolve some, someday anyway, right? But today, anyone that is born of the Spirit of God and has received this new abundant life that Jesus has promised, they are on their way to an eternal promised land. Okay? For now, we're just passing through. Just like the Israelites, they had a wilderness experience. A period of time where they hadn't got, it was 40 years from being set free to being in their promised land. And for us, we're going through that wilderness time where we're awaiting the return of Jesus Christ or again where we're going to be before him someday. But here in these verses, we see that even though the disciples of Jesus did not yet all know, know every, they didn't know any, everything that they would soon know, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were careful to be obedient to the Word of God. But even here, before they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were still careful, careful to be obedient to the words of the Lord Jesus and go do exactly what He said. Go to this certain city, do this, prepare, prepare the feast, right? And today, as we await the time when we will be in the presence of the Lord, we too are to be sure to be obediently living in accordance with the words of our Lord. That's why we study the Bible in the way that we do. What's the purpose of opening the Bible and studying it like this? So that we can, un again, understand God's will for our lives and what it is that He wants us to do. 
Okay? But after the disciples had went ahead and they prepared everything, verse 21 tells us, Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? So to 11 of the disciples, this must have been like a kick in the gut to hear this. But one of them there had evil in his heart. You see, Judas had the wrong focus. If you remember uh, back when we read, just a, I read it to you just a bit earlier here in verses 8 and 9 of Matthew, that the disciples said, why this waste with that fragrant oil? Remember, they said, why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. Well, we're told in the Gospel of John chapter 12 and verse 4 that it was actually Judas that said that. Remember, when you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get a little bit of the story from each piece. Well, it was actually Judas was the one that said that. You see, he wasn't so much worried about the poor as he was about the money. And he was the carrier of the money bag of the group, okay? And, and he was also about to cash in on some money for betraying Jesus. They counted out to him 30 pieces of silver to go ahead and do that. So we see the type of man that Jesus was, or Judas was, excuse me, and what he had in his heart. So anyway, the disciples seem to be a bit dismayed here, and they question Jesus on this. Then in verse 23 here it says, He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. In other words, just one of you, they're probably all doing that. But one of them amongst them is going to betray him. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So Jesus acknowledges here in verse 24 that this indeed was the plan all along. He was indeed destined to die for the sin of the world, but it still doesn't change the fact that it's a sad thing that people have this kind of hatred in their hearts. And we know even today that there's much evil and hatred in the hearts of mankind, right? Those that are perpetrators of evil will surely get what's coming to them, though, as would be the case for Judas. You know, people often question why religious people do evil acts, like killing others, for example. And many times they blame God for what religious people do, right? You, you try to talk to them about the God of the Bible, and they want nothing to do with it because they associate the evil doings of religious folk with the God of the Bible. When if they would just come to a place of repentance in their own hearts and take the time to learn the Bible themselves, they will find that Jesus Christ is far different than many people that name his name as a part of their religion present him to be. You know, I've been studying the Bible for 34 years. And yes, I, I do see people in it uh, that kill, people that steal, people that destroy. 
But the God of the Bible is love. So much so that he gave his only begotten son in, a, in an attempt to redeem mankind back to himself. You see, the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, it says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But he said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So that's the person that trusts in the Lord. And there's a big difference between someone that truly trusts in the, in the Lord truly is obedient to the word of the Lord and someone that simply follows a religion, right? And just goes to church on Sunday or Wednesday, right? There's a big difference. It's a difference that's within the heart because Christ is in the person that has accepted him and changes them, okay? Remember, Judas for three years, think about it. Judas for three years was called a disciple of Jesus. Everywhere that Jesus went, for three years, there was Judas. Anybody that knew Judas associated him with Jesus. Hey, there's Judas, one of the followers of Jesus. But just because Judas named the name of Jesus and was constantly seen with him, it didn't matter because he never repented from the evil that was in his heart. He had a different motive. And it's the same thing with many religious people today. They can name the name of Jesus, but what's in their heart? If you have the kind of heart that refuses to repent of your sin, but yet you name the name of Jesus, then you have nothing more than a religion. But as we continue on in our reading here, verse 25 then Judas, who was betraying him, answered, answered him, or answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. In other words, yes, right? Now something important to remember here, if you look back with me here in this same chapter at verses 14 and 15 and 16, it says, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. So this happened before the Last Supper, what Judas was doing there, right? So you can really get a picture here of the kind of man Judas was. He's asking Jesus, was it him? And of course, he already knew it was him. He had already collected the money. And of course, Jesus, as God in the flesh, knew the evil that was in the heart of Judas. But the time had now come for Jesus to be betrayed. The time had now come for the real, the true, the final Passover lamb. That's why I said Jesus is the fulfillment of that whole Passover feast, because now he's the, the true Lamb of God. It's time for him to be sacrificed once and for all, for all of mankind. 
And as the story continues in verse 26, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, notice some things here. In verse 29, Jesus confirms that they were drinking, that what they were drinking was the fruit of the vine. In other words, it wasn't really his blood. Okay? What Jesus was doing here was symbolically showing them that it was his body that would be sacrificed. He's, he's showing them some symbolism here. His body would be sacrificed. His blood would be shed. And that they were now to allow their whole lives to be consumed with that fact. Coming to Christ is a whole new life. It's not a religion that becomes part of your life. You are to now come to Christ with all that you are. In a symbolic manner, you are to eat His flesh and drink His blood. In other words, be consumed with, with Jesus. To be washed clean of your sin through repentance and follow the commands of Jesus for the rest of your life. And Jesus makes it clear here that His blood and body were, were going to be sacrificed. Not only for those in the room with them here, but for the sins of many, he said. And this extends all the way to you and me today. Now, I want to show you something here. Mark this page. Actually, we're not going to come back to Matthew, so don't worry about marking this page. But uh, let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. John chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading down at verse 31. And I'll just quickly set the scene here and let you know that this point in time that we're going to read about here is sometime before the Last Supper that we're reading about in Matthew. Okay, Jesus at this time here in the Gospel of John had many people following him around. Many people that would be called his disciples. A disciple is just someone that is learning of a teacher, sitting at the foot of a teacher and learning of that person. So at this point in time that we're reading about here in Matthew, there was a multitude of people that were following Jesus around. Okay? They liked following Jesus around because of all the miracles that he had done. Right? He was feeding thousands off of you know, a few fish, a couple loaves of bread. He was feeding thousands of people, doing many miracles. So he had many followers because of that. But in reality, to these people that were following him, it was nothing more than a religion 
right, to them to follow Jesus. And you'll see that as I go along here um, in the upcoming verses, they, they weren't really ready to give their lives to him. They just wanted all that they could benefit from him. And many people do that today with religions. They like the benefit of what they get, but they don't want to give their lives to something. And starting in verse 31, our fathers, Jesus says here, our fathers ate the manna. So we're in John chapter 6, right? Verse 31. Uh, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Remember, God's taken care of the children of Israel through all this wilderness experience. Their shoes never got old. Their clothing never wore out. He provided bread from heaven for them, food to eat and everything. God's taking care of them. Right? And Jesus is speaking back to that time now. Verse 32, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Okay, so in other words, he's focusing them back on God, not on Moses. Remember, these Jews, these religious Jews, they lifted up Moses. They lifted up Abraham. They lifted up all these men of God that God used as good men. But Jesus doesn't want our focus on man. See, if you're in a religion today where you're focused on a man, and that man is telling you what to do, well, and you're following what that man is telling you what to do, then you're probably in a cult. Because remember, there's one God and one mediator between God and man. There's not a pastor between you and God. There's not a priest between you and God. There's not some religious guru between you and God. There's Jesus Christ between you and God. Okay? But just like we see with the Passover that was established by God with the children of Israel, just as that was a foreshadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ, so this manna that God provided for the children of Israel as they wandered through the desert, so was that. It was just a foreshadow of something that was to come. There was going to be a fulfillment of an ultimate Savior of all people. And Jesus going on here says, For the bread of God, verse 33, For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Remember, we read in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were created by Him, right? Then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says that the Word that was there in the beginning became flesh, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. So Jesus was there in the beginning. He came down, like he says, verse 33, for the bread of God is, is he who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. Right? So that's Jesus. Verse 34, then he said to them, Lord, or then they said to them, to him, excuse me, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So you see, Jesus is describing here a quenching of a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst, a final fulfillment in our lives where we know it's all good because I'm in Christ. 
I am spiritually quenched. I don't need to go out and search for a religion. I don't need to go out and pray to some mountain. I don't need to bow my knee to a man because I have Christ in me. My spiritual hunger, my spiritual thirst is all quenched in Jesus. Verse 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus is speaking here about all the people that will ever come to him and give their lives to him, to serve him and to bow their hearts to him as Lord, as their one and only Lord, right? Not, and not everyone is willing to do this, even to this very day. Not in Jesus' time when he was on the earth, nor are people willing to do it today. Because they're not willing to sacrifice all that they are, all that they love, all that they hold dear in this world, and come out of this world as Jesus commands his followers to do. To come out of this world is biblically described as not being of this world realizing that, hey, I'm traveling. I've got my staff in my hand. I'm traveling light. I'm not carrying heavy load here. I'm just passing through. This place is not my home. I'm just passing through, right? So we shouldn't be living in the ways of the sinful world, but rather deciding that we are going to be a follower of Jesus and live our lives in accordance with his word. You see, Jesus said that those that won't come to him don't come because they love the darkness. That is, they love their sin. They love the pleasure that they get from remaining in their sin, so so they refuse to repent and come to Jesus and be saved. But Jesus says there that that in the last day, He's going to raise us up, right? And He says that they will be those that are His followers. But we'll also see now that All the religious Jews that did not like Jesus, you know, and and they're not liking what he's saying here. Verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. This was like sacrilegious to them. And, And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He says, I have come down from heaven. You see, they think he was nothing more than a man. But he was God in the flesh. They just see him as the son of Joseph and Mary and don't realize who he really is. There are religions today that say Jesus was nothing more than a good man, nothing more than a prophet. Verse 43, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father 
who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. You see, there comes a point in the life of a person when the Spirit of God is calling out to them. And if you're hearing what I'm saying to you right now through the reading of the Word of God, then God has brought you to a place right now where He desires that you wouldn't perish. God desires that no one would perish, but that all would come to repentance and to faith in Jesus, the Lamb of God, right, who is the only way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. So your religion is not the way to eternal life with God. Your good works or your lack of bad works are not the way to eternal life with God. Only coming to Jesus and being born again is the way to eternal life with God. Man has made up so many other ways and they think that their way is the right way or the only way or it's good enough. But the Word of God declares that there is no other way than through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But again, it is the Spirit of God. And Jesus knows this with this people that he's talking with here. They're not receiving him. And he knows it's the Spirit of God that's going to draw them to him. And that's what happens. The Spirit of God today is drawing you to a place through the hearing of the Word of God to, to make a decision to come to him. And the scripture says, whosoever will can come. It's open to everyone. You don't have to join a religion. It's open to everyone to come to Jesus. But you have to be willing to be consumed with Jesus and to lay down your life. Let's read a little bit more here. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught with God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. So Jesus is talking about himself there. Verse 47, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. So remember, back in Matthew chapter 26, we were reading about Jesus, how he was symbolically taking that bread at the Last Supper and he was breaking it, and the fruit of the vine, and he gave it to them to drink. And Jesus is saying here, I am the bread of life. Right? Do you want true life? Do you want abundant life? Well, then you need to come to Jesus. Jesus says here in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat of it, and not die. Again, Jesus is talking about something spiritual here, that quenching that spiritual hunger. He's talking about an everlasting life. Someday our physical bodies are going to die. And if you have repented and been born again of the Spirit, you have placed your life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you will immediately, the Scripture says, you will be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Jesus goes on here, verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, 
which I shall give for the life of the world. Remember, all these people he's talking to have no clue that he's going to go and die, that he's going to be crucified. He knew it. His disciples often refused to accept the fact, but he's simply saying here that he's going to die for the sin of the world. But we'll see here that some of the listeners of Jesus here are not going to understand the spiritual implications of what Jesus is saying. Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my f flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. So pay attention here, right? Verse 57, As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. Remember, he's talking about something spiritual here. These things, verse 59, he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is hard. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? So Jesus has now turned to his 12 disciples at this point. There was the 12 of them, right? And he turns to them and he says, if you don't understand that I'm going to die, I'm going to sacrifice my body, shed my blood. What are you going to do when it comes the time for me to leave the earth altogether and I ascend back into heaven? Right? He wanted his disciples to understand spiritual things because he goes on in verse 63. He says, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Today, many rituals of religion are established for something that makes people feel good on the outside, something they may do on the outside. But Jesus was never about that. He was never about that at all. He was about who we are internally. So he's not talking about physically eating his blood and or eating his body and physically drinking his blood. He's giving them a teacher, a teaching here that he's going to die and that anyone that comes to him must take part in his death and be willing to die to themselves, to take up the cross and to follow after him. This is what Jesus teaches. And this is this is what the Bible shows us here. Again, it's not about a religion. It's not about seeking God for the miracles that he can do for you or what he can give you. It's about you serving him. Think about when a man marries a woman or, or vice versa, right? They're not saying, okay, you know what? When they take their marriage vows, okay, I vow to half-heartedly follow you. My worldly goods belong to me, but I'm going to hang out with you. These aren't part of the marriage vows, right? I, I'm going to, I'm not going to forsake all others, but I'm going to live with you. Right? I'm not going to cleave only to you, 
There will be others in my life as well. Can you imagine if we make a commitment in marriage like that? That's not a marriage. That's a relationship of convenience, right? If it works good for me, right, but I'm not going to give you all that I am, well, that's how we'll do it. But that's what Jesus requires, all of us, total commitment to him in the way that we live our lives, the way that we spend our money, the words of our mouth, the meditation of our heart, everything. We need to live as if it all belongs to him. The scripture says in the Psalms, uh, David said, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and all those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. It all belongs to God. So again, when someone comes to Jesus, it's not a half-hearted decision. It's not a man-made religion. It's a die-to-yourself relationship. In verse 64, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew that from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So you see, many times there appears to be people that are followers of Jesus, just like Judas was, just like these multitudes of people who were following him around. They name his name. They go to church on Sunday, Saturday, Wednesday, whenever, but their hearts are not fully committed to him. First Samuel 16, 7 says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God is looking at our heart. And the question we must ask ourselves is, where is our hearts today? Do we have what is only a religion or have we truly repented and put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ and have truly become someone that is willing to lay down all that we have and to be led by the Spirit of God? And this is what the Lord requires of those that will truly come to Him. There are many people that because their eyes look to the ways of man and the ways of religion, they turn their backs on God. I'm hearing more and more people that, you know, say, oh, I'm questioning my belief in God. I'm questioning my belief in him. But in fact, they were in a religion anyway, never in a relationship with God. They don't truly want to lay down all that they are and all of their lifelong indoctrinations and all the opinions that they have. They don't want to lay that all down and come to Jesus. You know, many people seem to think that they are born into a relationship with God. They say, oh, my, my mom was this religion, my dad was this religion, therefore that's what I am, and I'm sure that that will get me to heaven. But what about the Word of God, right? Are you willing to stake your eternity on religious beliefs when God has given to us all that we need for life and godliness in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be consumed by Jesus? Immerse yourself as a committed, obedient follower of him. No one said it was easy, including Jesus. All right? Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you as his follower. 
But if your heart is tugging at you right now, and what you've heard today is testifying within you, then the Spirit of God is calling you, and you can come and be born again. And it's as simple as you believing this in your heart and confessing it with your mouth and being ready to repent, right? To turn from the life, again, where you are Lord of your life, right? you're Lord of your decisions, and come to a place where you are led by the Spirit of God and no longer willing to fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you need any help spiritually, you can contact us. Our website is on the page here. Um, it's on the screen, www.aloveoutreach.com. You can go there. You can use the Contact Us form, and that will send an email directly to me if we can answer any questions for you or pray for you or guide you in any way. But let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your word. Lord, your word, as it says in the book of Hebrews, it's living. It's active, meaning it says that it cuts within us, causes us to think, where am I? Where am I? Am I truly in the will of God? Am I truly serving the Lord as your word requires us to do, Lord? You have prepared a place for us. You have prepared eternity for us. Eye has not seen, the scripture says. Ear has not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. God, where is our love today? I pray for myself and for anybody watching or listening to this, Lord, that we would examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, if we're truly in the faith. I pray that people will pick up the Bible and begin to study it for themselves. It's a living word that changes our lives, Lord. We thank you that you have not left us here comfortless. You've not left us alone. You've given your Holy Spirit who draws people unto you. And that's who I pray for now, Lord, those people that are being drawn unto you, Lord, that they would just come unto you wholeheartedly. Again, we thank you for this time and your word. We thank you for this day of life. We just acknowledge you in all things. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for watching or listening, whatever the case may be. We'll see you next time.